to the Right on Point podcast with Wayne Rohde. The Right on Point podcast is a candid discussion of your legal rights, civil liberty ramifications, legalities of possible mandates of COVID vaccines, and actions by our federal government and state governments. Plus exploring the untouchable topics within the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, the PrEP Act, and the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for watching and listening to the Right on Point podcast. I hope everybody's having a good day. Uh, before we dive into the program, um, I've got to uh, mention a very large upcoming event coming up here in the Midwest, the, the, great, uh, the great White North, as I refer to it. Uh, October 1st, 2022 is the fourth annual Global Health Freedom Summit in Alexandria, Minnesota. It's a huge gathering, about 2,000 people. It's going to be headlined by uh, Dell Bigtree, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, uh, Dr. Larry Pulveski, Dr. Scott Jensen, our own uh, uh, former state senator running for governor, uh, Dr. Bob Zajac from Minnesota, plus many others. And we've arranged for a book signing. So Dr. Peter McCullough and his co-author, John Leake, Plus, Dr. Scott Jensen will be, at the end of the event, be signing books. Uh, McCullough's book is called The Courage to Face COVID-19. And Dr. Jensen's book is called We've Been Played, Exposing the Triad of Tyranny. So if you want to attend, tickets will be sold out by August. Here's where to get them. Uh, website, wellnessmyway.org. Get your tickets. And then in the checkout, uh, type in ROP for Right on Point and receive discounted tickets. Um, for those who want to contact uh, the program, you can um, email us at the inbox. It's inbox at rightonpoint.online or my Twitter at, at Wayne Rohde. Now, I'll warn you, my Twitter, I go off on a whole bunch of different topics. So it's just not just uh, COVID related. It might be Minnesota Twins baseball related. It might be excuse me, the Minnesota governor's race, who knows? I, de I, I tend to jump into a whole bunch of different areas of concern. So anyway, uh, joining us today is a good friend, uh, Lori Jennings from the St. Paul, Minnesota area. Lori, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Wonderful. Well, you're my co-pilot, so I know you'd be interested in this topic. Um, regarding uh, college uh, mandates, and it's really important um, for me. Um, I just had a son who just graduated from college, but he had to sidestep the uh, jab requirements for the last couple of years, and he did so by voluntary testing. Um, and it got to be pretty ridiculous where he was tested positive a couple of times, but never did have it. Um, but he had to be quarantined in his in his dorm room uh, for seven days, um, and it's just it's just it's a it's out of control what's happened here. But anyway, for those who are have high school students and are now thinking about moving into college, we're getting everybody is so tired of this COVID mandates, lockdowns, and everything else. I've got a feeling that colleges are about ready to ramp up and they're going to get even worse than we thought they would be. 
And what I want to do, and I reached out and I found this dynamic attorney. Her name is Lucia Sinatra from the No College Mandates organization, and she's joining us today. So welcome to the program. How are you doing today? Hi, Wayne. I'm doing great. And thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. Um, we tried to put this program together a few weeks ago. And we had some technical internet difficulties over here in the eastern side of St. Paul. Um, but I'm glad that you're back. Lori and uh, I have been looking forward to this one for quite some time. Now, a year ago, uh, there was a push because I believe it wasn't Rutgers, the first university to uh, mandate vaccines for their students, plus also their staff. And then it spread like wildfire across the United States. Where do we sit today, um, college-wise? Are is some colleges backing off or more colleges stepping forward? Where do we sit today? It's such a great um, question, and it's a multi multifaceted answer. Um, it's uh, we see some schools that are peeling back. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of them are doing it quietly. Um, in other words, changing the requirements on their website for incoming students, but not necessarily emailing the college community. So you see some movement in Rhode Island um, at um, at um, uh, there's Providence. Um, sorry, there's. Uh, yeah, a couple of Rhode Island colleges. There's Cornell, University of Rochester, RIT, uh, Columbia um, delayed. This is only the booster. Um, Northwestern is the newest, potentially even Duke is now saying we may not force the booster upon our students. When it comes to dropping vaccine mandates in total, we've seen very few colleges do that. Um, University of Hawaii was the first one. Um, another one was Cincinnati U. We believe that they dropped those um, because of pressure from lawsuits. Um, Ohio U is making some shifts um, also from pressure in loss, um, coming from lawsuits and some Canadian universities, not nearly as many um, as we'd like. Uh, we'd like a lot more colleges that have been very strict with both um, primary series vaccines and boosters to completely drop this nonsense. Um, the fact that we're seeing a little bit of shifting is giving us some hope. But I got to tell you, Wayne, there are days um, that I think they're going to double down um, by the time we get to fall. That the, the majority, which is about over 1,000 colleges mandating primary series, about 350 mandating boosters on top of that. I, uh, I fear that when that fourth booster gets approved, um, likely this summer, uh, that most of those colleges that are already mandating boosters are going to mandate that fourth shot. What about remote learning? I know my yeah. son, his third year, actually, he took five years to complete because um, he took a year off to help take care of his, um, uh, his twin brother here at home, uh, a special needs child. But his uh, his third year, he did it remotely. But yet, they were the university was trying to push him to get vaccinated, and yet he was doing remote yep. learning. What where do we sit with remote learning? Is that it's, it's insane. 
Um, there's a substack that came out yesterday written by a Stanford student who just graduated. It's a wonderful piece. Um, I'll send it to you um, after this podcast. And he was doing remote learning at Stanford from Texas and being forced to get a booster. When you read his substack and you see the email exchange that went on, it is so nonsensical what Stanford was saying to him. They, they, they refused to acknowledge that he wasn't going to step foot on campus. He was working remotely from Texas. Yet because they made this a requirement upon the whole community, and he's a community member, he's forced to get the booster. It's absolutely insane. What I'm finding is that the more elite colleges, the more ridiculous the policies. So what he did is he fought it um, with professors, administrators. It took him a while, back and forth, several months. He eventually got his exemption approved. Exemption from the booster to work at Stanford from Texas in distance learning. (laughs) Okay, uh, I need some duct tape. My head's going to be exploding. I'm going to wrap some duct tape around my head here uh, to keep it from exploding. um, Stanford is the university where the professor who she's a, a professor of law and medicine, her husband has a known a stroke condition caused by the vaccine. It's documented. He's a 45-year-old man. It's just so hard for me to wrap my head around these institutions knowing these cause harm um, and serious harm. A 45-year-old having a stroke is no minor situation, and yet they still continue down these this path thinking that it's a one in a million or a one in a hundred million sort of condition, which we know from VAERS, that's not true. That's, this is insane. Okay. Um, is there any exemptions that can be uh, gathered here? Because as an adult, you have two exemptions. You have through the American Disabilities Act and the Civil Rights Act, you have uh, your two exemptions. Are the colleges honoring those at this time or not? Another great question, and it's a complicated answer. Um, Medical exemptions um, are very, very difficult to come by. Um, So we discourage families um, from even trying uh, unless there's an allergy to the contents of the vaccine. Um, But previous heart conditions, um, they have not not worked in the past. Previous adverse reactions to the primary series, hospitalizations, doctor's notes, Um, They've all been rejected. Colleges are practicing medicine by rejecting the medical advice of private physicians of some of their students. It's absolutely insane. Religious exemptions, it depends on the school. The worst of the schools are the Catholic Jesuit schools, Boston College, Scranton. They, They blanketly turn down exemptions of any kind. Um, Then there are colleges that will accept exemptions. And honestly, Wayne, I think it has to do at some of these colleges with how many are applying for the exemptions. So, and then how hard you push for it. So if you write a strong letter um, and, you know, and, and, and they don't want any trouble, um, they may be inclined to approve it. If you get rejected and you write a strong appeal letter um, and get the help of an attorney, they might be inclined to then approve it. Um, and, you know, and, and then if a lot of kids at your college don't apply, like my son's college, for example, my son is a religious exemption. He's one of a hundred kids at his college 
that has an exemption. They rubber stamp approved it with no problems at all. And I think that's because they had such a small group asking for exemptions. Uh, Lori, you and I talked about this a while back about natural immunity and, and it's tough to, I guess, medically document it and have it accepted at places. Lucia, where do we sit on natural immunity? Is that able, are you able to submit any type of documentation? Okay, so check this one out. Um, Vermont is an incredibly difficult state um, with vaccine mandates for most of their colleges. However, Norwich University in Vermont is one of the first colleges that I've heard of where they will recognize natural immunity as an exemption to the vaccine. It is not widespread. I don't, I know very few other colleges that are accepting that as an exemption to the vaccine, Mm -hmm. but I get encouraged when I find one or two, even because we can use this in our, you know, in our arguments with other colleges, you know, um, if Norwich University is recognizing this, what excuse do you have not to recognize it? The data's there, the science is there. Um, so not very many is the short answer, but there's one or two that, that will recognize it. I think there's uh, one or two in Virginia as well um, that will allow students to sign um, sort of a personal liability um, document that says, uh, we uh, we will we don't want to take the vaccine and we accept personal responsibility if anything happens. Okay. Um, so I'm you get, curious. You, oh, go sorry. ahead. Go, go ahead. Go I'm ahead. curious what you're seeing on the collegiate athlete side of things. Um, I was at a press conference here in Minnesota where an athlete's story was shared. Mm-hmm. He was uh, forced to do his primary series and then developed myocarditis and then was no longer able to perform as a collegiate athlete. It's heartbreaking. And, and I know he's one of many. So I'm just curious if that if there's been a shift or a softening from the NCAA or any of the governing uh, forces at the college level. That's a great question. Um, as you would imagine, there are many, many parents on the fight for their students, the athlete students. Um, And what's happening is, and you're so right, Lori, there are so many that have been injured. Um, At Bucknell just a few months ago, I think there were um, maybe three kids um, that were benched on their track team because of myocarditis symptoms. Um, and, uh, And the parents sort of got together and they started making connections. Um, Once again, it's a really complicated answer because there are some coaches at some of the colleges who are so adamant in enforcing NCAA rules, which mandate vaccines, but give you a 90 day grace period to get the booster if you've been infected by COVID-19. Once that 90 day grace period is over, they fully expect you to get the booster. There are some coaches that are so awful towards these students. They're taking them out of lineups. They're um, moving them down on, on the ladder if they play tennis. I mean, they're taking them out of swim meets. They are punishing these students until they comply. And it's different from school to school. What we're realizing is that coaches, you know, they really have a lot of um, you know, sort of influence with how they pressure students to follow NCAA rules. We also know there are some, some coaches that are ignoring it for as long as they possibly can. 
and not pushing the vaccine and not teaching, uh, um, treating uh, their student athletes differently, but it's school to school and really coach dependent. Wow, that's amazing. Um, your group, the No College Mandates, what are you currently doing right now? Are you writing letters or are you uh, submitting uh, proposals to colleges to one-on-one -on -one or are you, you know, uh, approaching colleges by region and saying back off or what, what's happening with your group? Yeah, so I'll just, um, I'll give you a brief overview. So we started No College Mandates at the end of last year. Um, I met another mom and we just decided to take this mission on that nobody was speaking um, on behalf of college students. And at the time, college students were too afraid and they still are to speak for themselves. So we decided to create NoCollegeMandates.com. Neither one of us had ever done anything like this. So we start, we're very organically grown and grassroots. And we started by putting up social media channels and a telegram chat and a website. Um, and we grew very, very quickly in a very short period of time. We realized we're not the only parents with these concerns. Um, so we built a really strong group. Um, and in the beginning, we were doing everything we could to get students exemptions, to get parents and students legal resources, um, community resources, um, advocacy organizations, whatever we could do. Um, so that got us through, you know, sort of January, February. And then we started turning our attention to uh, media appearances. Um, I spoke at the Defeat the Mandates in LA um, just to get the word out, to increase our reach, to get more parents supporting um, our effort. The, the more voices we have, the stronger we are. The latest thing that we've done is we've done a massive um, US-wide outreach to colleges around the country. And it's a three-page letter signed by No College Mandates in addition to four other partner organizations that are leading the fight against college mandates, alerting college administrators and trustees to the potential that there's been clinical trial fraud from Pfizer um, in, 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 in creating uh, the, vaccine, the vaccines and in their trial um, data. Um, among other things, um, we've brought up the, the insurance company data. We've brought up the safety data with the Johnson & Johnson vaccines. These letters have gone out to date to over 60 colleges, over 1,500 individuals. There are many, many more in the works. What we've done is we've created a toolkit, and then we're empowering students to take up students and, and parents to take their colleges customize our letter and send it out. And our goal is to get this to every single college in the United States that's mandating primary series and, and boosters. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. I know that the University of Minnesota is one of those schools. That's right here where Wayne and I both live. And, and I'm hopeful to see that make a big difference. How is that impacting the international students, Lucia? Uh, the international students are, you know, sort of a, a, a little bit of a horse of a different color. Um, these students are coming to the U.S. on a student visa. They're coming to get a four-year education, largely paying full freight to come to the United States to access. Some of them are getting, um, you know, some grants and things like that. Um, these students, many of them, have already taken vaccines in their home country, we don't recognize them. U.S. colleges don't recognize those vaccines. So now these students are having to then 
double up on U.S. vaccines, U.S. boosters. And I got to tell you, they're scared. Some of these kids have taken five vaccines. They think they're going to be mandated a sixth in the fall. They're reaching out to us, but they are so afraid um, to, to speak out in public, to lose um, their place in the class, to lose, you know, to be disenrolled at their university. Um, so I was contacted several weeks ago by a lawyer in the Netherlands um, and he and I connected him with a lawyer here in the United States, and they are just beginning the effort um, to fight entry requirements for students coming to college in the U.S. Because the other thing is these students are required to get vaccinated just to enter the U.S. But if their college doesn't mandate vaccines, then why are they being forced to take them to enter the U.S. to access a four year education when their college isn't requiring it? You know, that's interesting because like over in Europe, it's not Pfizer, it's AstraZeneca mm -hmm. and all the problems. I remember when AstraZeneca was first rolled out and all those, uh, the European unions stopped the, uh, the rollout for quite some time because of myocarditis and a few and blood clotting and then gradually eased it back in. So okay. these students are coming from Europe and also, well, from Asia, they can they might have the Chinese va uh, they do vaccines or um, you know even the uh, Sputnik Five from Russia vaccine that's over there too. So um, right. I get a kick out of that. Uh, that Russia's vaccine is called the Sputnik Five after their <laughs> astronaut program. Jeez. Um, um, anyway, so you're you've got a blend of different vaccines coming for these kids. That's right. Now they got to come over to the United States. They're going to get a Moderna or Pfizer or J and J. That's right. That's right. And I got to tell oh, you, um, their, their coaches are worried about them. You know, some of these international students, back to Lori's question, are um, are student athletes. Um, their coaches have reached out to me on Twitter on behalf of their students, saying, "What can we do?" And you know the. I always tell them to at least try filing an exemption, but I quite often tell them to consult a lawyer before follow, filing an exemption because their situation and circumstance is so unique. Um, and there are a couple of pockets of lawyer groups. Um, there's a, I hope they don't mind me promoting them, but there's a, a legal team. Um, in New York, um, Jim Mermigas and Kevin Berry. And yes. I got to tell you, their track record with getting exemptions at even the most stubborn of colleges like Boston College and um, Duke and Fordham University, it is a nearly flawless track record. Um, so and, and, and I think what they do is they sort of charge, you know, um, they sort of charge like a, a blanket rate to, to file your exemption and then help you fight it. Um, if you can afford them as a resource and, um, and a college has either turned down your exemption um, or you're worried that you might not write a strong enough exemption uh, or you need to file an appeal, um, these guys are a powerhouse of a team. Um, they constantly give updates on their website with the schools where they've had success in getting religious exemptions. And it is the most impressive list I've seen in this whole fight. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, Kevin Barry is a friend of this program, a good friend of mine for many years. Um, as a matter of fact, he was on last August, or actually July of 2021, talking about religious uh, liberty and freedom battle, and then also 
um, exemptions, um, stuff like that. Now we're talking, go back to this international thing. This, this is a lot of concerning to me and it has to do with immigrants or people who Im- immigrate to the United States, um, from worn torn areas. So they're fleeing their countries and coming over, uh, claiming asylum. Um, they're subject to all these UN camps. Uh, let's, let's just take an example of Somali parents coming over. Um, and then they're going to get vaccinated at the UN camps of all different, you know, this has been going on for 20 years, all different types of vaccines. Then they come into the United States and get vaccinated again. And we're seeing problems. We've seen problems within those communities. Now we're doing the same thing with international students coming, you know, getting vaccinated in their own native country and then coming into the U.S. and doubling up or tripling up on the same thing. This is just insanity. Um, It's insanity. And and I actually have another um, great story to share with you, if you don't mind. Um, I'm picking on Stanford University today, but man, they deserve it. Um, So there's a a group of international students there. um, And there was one um, that reached out to me several months ago. Um, He's he's a graduate student at Stanford. He's from Portugal. He's Mm -hmm. here with his wife and family. Um, They're on student, you know, he's on a student visa and they're on, you know, travel visas just for the time um, that he's here going to Stanford. And he has um, his primary series shots and he decided he didn't want to take the booster shot. And so he applied for an exemption and Stanford gave him an incredibly hard time, basically wrote him and said, if you don't get your vaccine by this date, you're going to be deported and you're going to lose tens of thousands of dollars that you've spent towards your education. Everything's going to be gone. Um, So this student reached out to me and he's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So he wrote a great piece in Newsweek. Um, We got him set up to go on Tucker Carlson. Um, He was he was set to go on Tucker Carlson on a Wednesday. The president of Stanford University caught wind of his Newsweek article and this idea that he was getting out there and talking to the press about how ridiculous this policy was called him in on a Monday and said, I will grant you uh, your religious exemption, you can stay. They didn't advertise this. They didn't offer it to the domestic students. They offered it to this student. I don't even know if they offered it to the other international students. They did it quietly. They did it secretly. He got his exemption. He was completely distraught for his other classmates and his domestic classmates. And, um, you know, and it's just it's just insane what you know. And again, their emails back and forth with him were ridiculous. There was no science. There was no data. um, There was nothing supporting their policies. They wouldn't even respond to why they had such a policy in place. And we're finding that blanket across every college in the United States. When you ask reasons for them to justify their policies, we get blanket, we are following CDC guidelines, and this is just the way it is. There's absolutely no engagement, no discussion, no justification. And it's, it's, it's probably the most frustrating part of this whole process. Wow. What about American students studying abroad? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I mean, I know that 
that countries like London, um, I think they're pretty strict, just like we are. Um, so my son, for example, is studying abroad as um, as I you and I were talking before the show. He's studying abroad in um, in Italy this summer. Well, um, the program that he applied for, he's he's a freshman. He just finished his freshman year. Mm-hmm. He applied for um, a highly competitive international study abroad program, and he got approved for the program. Three weeks ago, they wrote my son and said, yeah, um, so we're going to take that approval away uh, because you don't have your vaccines. Well, that's all I needed to hear. So we raised holy hell. And um, my son left for Rome on Saturday. So um, you can't stand for it, Wayne. You've got to fight back. You've got to fight back with every single thing you have in your arsenal. There is no reason whatsoever that they needed to pull my son from this study abroad program And we embarrassed them with emails. Um, We asked them to respond to requests that we knew they couldn't respond to. We were willing to bring a lawyer on board if that's the step we needed to take. And uh, and and with within um, you know about a week of his departure, um, they approved they approved him to go, and he's there. Excellent, Lori. Yeah, I have I have a question on that. Um, a few months back, there was a, a, a beautiful young woman. I think her name is Ellie Puentes, who went on Tucker Carlson yes. and shared her story at, mm-hmm. I believe, Union College, if I'm re- remembering correctly. That's right. Um, and I was so proud of how brave she was. I was so thankful that she was able to speak her truth in a way that honored a bunch of other students who hadn't otherwise been as vocal as she had. I'm just curious if you've seen a change in students advocating for themselves over the course of this. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that question. Um, and Ellie, Ellie Puentes is a lovely young woman. We've been in touch over Zoom. Uh, we stay in contact via email and social media. Um, she's an incredible, incredible young woman. Uh, she, I believe, is in the process of transferring out of Union College um, because of how brutally they treated her. Um, she um, felt she um, she's vaccine injured from her primary series. She had medical, um, you know, doctor's notes to get an exemption, a medical exemption from the booster. They denied it, and within a few short days, they um, uh, disenrolled her from Union College and kicked her out and told her you're on your own. You have to get off campus. This is a first generation Mexican-American college student. It's devastating. It was absolutely devastating to her. She's a, she was on full scholarship at Union College. Um, so she is working on a transfer to, uh, excuse me, respect her choice. Um, and, uh, and again, we stay in touch looking um, for avenues to try to help her and support her. Um, but what I love so much about that question, Lori, is, um, yes, it, um, it, it's, it's, there are more students uh, that are coming forward um, in the way of a student that contacted, we, we've been in touch over Twitter, and he contacted me a few months ago, and uh, a few weeks ago, sorry, and he said, you know, now that school's out, and I have a lot of time this summer, um, I have this idea. I want to try to reach out to students at other colleges to begin efforts to create clubs at their colleges to stand up to the mandates. What do you think and can you help me? And I said, I'm in. 
I'm 100% in. So the first club that I know of of this kind was created at University of Pennsylvania by a group of graduate students, and it's called Penn Anti-Coercion Coalition. I love these kids. Uh, I'm, again, I'm also in touch with them via Zoom and via email. And, um, and of course, naturally, because I love what they're doing, um, I explained this to the student in Chicago who said, you know, I want to get students to speak up. Where is everybody? Why is everybody complying? And why aren't the students speaking out? And he feels very alone um, in, his, in his community at his school in Chicago. Um, so what I've done is I've connected him at this point with a handful of students, a student at Stanford, a student at Penn, a student at Ohio U, a student at Cincinnati U. Um, and they're just going to begin an effort this summer. Um, they're going to reach out to Republican groups on campus. They're going to um, reach out to, you know, um, libertarian groups and see if they can even just get one student at each college campus to create some sort of safe space where other students can come and meet and talk and just have a conversation about what's going on and and both sides you know one of the things I proposed to the Penn Anti-Coercion Coalition um, several weeks ago is I said would you be you know kind of taking a page out of Steve Kirsch's book would you be open to a debate what if we invited students from the side that supports mandates and vaccines and the side that's anti-coercion and anti-mandate. And let's just have a couple of moderators, doctors, professors. We can have moderators from both sides of, of, you know, of the aisle here. And let's just talk about it. Let's address each other's concerns. Let's share data. Let's see if we can get closer to being on the same page. We all want to protect the community. We all want what's best for students and faculty, but mandating um, a, a novel medical treatment is most likely not the way to do it. Now that we've seen that these vaccines don't prevent transmission, they don't prevent um, you know, um, acquisition of virus. I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing? We have no idea what the long-term consequences are. And we've seen adverse events. They are very real in the short term. Um, and I don't, I don't think we're at the end of that road. I, I think we're just at the beginning, quite frankly. No, and I think it's really important for people to know that within Pfizer's own documentation that's approved by the FDA in their cormidity insert, which is their approved version of the vaccine. Of course, we know it's not available in the United States, but that's not widely known. Um, the language in section 13.1 says they haven't tested it fertility. They haven't tested it for genotoxicity, which is changing your DNA. And they haven't, they haven't tested it for cancer. And I think if students and parents were more aware of this, that maybe would give them a little bit of pause. That's not an anti-vax group saying it. That's the drug manufacturer and the FDA saying it. Yeah, those are excellent, excellent points, Lori. And, you know, it's a mystery. It remains a mystery. Um, I do think people are slowly but surely beginning to wake up and beginning to ask questions. I just wish it were happening on 
a more widespread scale and we're happening a little bit quicker um, because every day that we wait, every day that we push these vaccines, we expose our, you know, our young adults, we expose many people, but of course my focus is on young adults in the college age population. We expose them um, to injuries, we expose them to death. And um, I, I just don't understand why we can't get more analysis of the risk benefit here, um, because it's clearly um, not in favor of mandating um, these vaccines. And I actually have another story to share with you guys, if you don't mind, um, because this is the first I've actually heard of this as well. And it just blew me away. And I think I heard this uh, maybe last week, two weeks ago, a parent reached out to me. Um, her um, student goes to Rhode Island College. Rhode Island College, I, I, I think you guys probably know, is one of the worst states in the United States. They have a law on the books that they're trying to get passed, which will double tax and fine the unvaccinated in the state of Rhode Island. Right. This is insane. Okay. So at Rhode Island College, you can fill out a form and get a medical exemption if you have proof of myocarditis or pericarditis from a previous COVID-19 vaccine. Okay, let's think about this for a minute. Is this not admission? Is this not admission of the danger of these vaccines? Show us your proof that you got myocarditis and okay, we'll give you the vaccine. What about all the ones who are undiagnosed? What about all the ones who wear myocarditis and pericarditis hasn't set in yet? You've got to be kidding me. And this so, is Rhode Island College, Sam? Rhode Island College. Unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. So what happens at a lot of these colleges is sometimes they just say, write a letter, tell us why you want an exemption, and we'll think about it. At other colleges, they require that you fill out an application explaining your reasons and then attach a letter or a doctor's note. So Rhode Island College is one of these colleges where you have to fill out an application. And one of the boxes you can check is, yeah, I got myocarditis from my previous initial series. Um, you know, therefore, uh, I want to be exempted from the booster. I, I just to me, this is an admission on the part of that college that this is a real risk factor. And yet they continue to mandate these vaccines, knowing it's a risk for their for their student population. Have you looked into uh, the VAERS data for college student age groups? What <laughs> what are we looking at as far as um, it's got to be myocarditis Definitely. and all sorts of it? Uh, is blood clotting for that age group that much, yes. or is it is it wh where do we sit with the uh, the profile of say eighteen to twenty four? Yeah, it's an excellent question, and I don't I don't have the numbers because honestly, um, colleges won't publish these numbers, states won't publish these numbers, so it requires such an incredible amount of analysis to go through and pull from VAERS data. You know who's injured, and and you know at one point on Twitter, Gene um, <clears throat> Rees was doing um, a lot of this data um, on these younger populations, and. Um, and she's no longer on Twitter. Um, I actually think she's taking a break because mm -hmm. um, this has been a hard and long slog for her. Um, but yes, 
the things that we're hearing mostly in this population is myocarditis, pericarditis, reproductive um, menstrual cycle issues. Um, there are, there, we are hearing of some blood clotting, but you know, what's interesting is it's, it's, it's coming in connection with a student injury or student death. I don't know if these students are getting symptoms of blood clotting unless it leads to something more serious. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, we know for a fact um, that there have been student deaths. We know for a fact um, mm-hmm. there are documented cases of myocarditis and um, and menstrual cycle disruptions and, um, you know, variety of, of um, you know, other, you know, other things, immunocompromised diseases and, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, things that were, you know, just never there before. Um so it's it's a, it's just a frightening a frightening thing for this very young population um, you know to be forced to do and and the other thing we can't figure out Wayne um, it's really hard and you know I'm hoping maybe these students that start these clubs will be able to illuminate this a little bit more we don't know the mix of college students who are complying because they believe the vaccines are safe forced to comply under threat and not complying with exemptions. We have no idea what that looks like. We think that the largest population of college students are the ones that are complying because they're they're under mass formation psychosis and believing that these mm-hmm. vaccines are safe and that everybody should take them and that they this is the way they can protect the community. We believe that's the large majority. We believe the, the next group um, underneath them is students that have been forced to comply against their will. But because they've been promised normalcy and because they believe um, that that they'll be able to participate in their college life fully, um, they just comply um, to, to get it over with. They don't want to be singled out. Um, they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be subject to additional restrictions on campus. So they don't want to comply, but they're complying because their lives will be easier that way. And um, and they will be you know normalized like, like the majority of the other students on their campus. And then, of course, in the smaller minority um, are the kids that have exemptions, which um, you know, very, very hard to know these numbers. Um, some of the colleges post on their COVID dashboards how many students have um, have exemptions. The majority of them don't. Um, and then, of course, the majority of them, you know, don't talk about, uh, you know, students that um, have been vaccine injured because they don't they don't recognize it as as being real. Mm. I thought it was an interesting. I just recently learned of a, a gentleman who came from the NCAA world. His name is Chris Gillespie. Are you are you familiar with yes. who that is? Yes. And he was talking about the connection to sickle cell disease and what that looks like in vaccine injuries. And, and the reason that I loved his the way that he came at it was because college athletes um uh, have a unique opportunity to have a voice like the NFL and the NBA did, right? Um, and yet their voices have been suppressed. And what we know from the Black community is sickle cell disease tends to be more prominent in their community. And so I love that there was an advocate saying, hey, listen, I can prove that these two things go together. And I'm just curious, Lucia, if you have any connection to him or any more information about where he's going with that particular um 
advocacy he's working on. He's an unbelievable man. Um, and, um, and yes, he has reached out to our organization um, to share with us what he's trying to do um, for, for U.S. athletes. It took him, man, a, probably a good 10 years for the NCAA to recognize his research on sickle cell disease. And it wasn't until they, um, they, he presented them with their research. He had been fighting for years and years and years. He became, you know, sort of a, an expert on the topic. Um, and he's doing the same now with COVID-19 vaccines. Um, he believes he has the power to make a difference. I believe him too. He's got an incredible amount of contacts at the NCAA and coaches all across the United States. He's an incredibly um, well-respected um, uh, NCAA coach and former um, athlete, I believe. Um, and he's got the support of the leading doctors, um, Peter McCullough, Ryan Cole, you know, leading this fight, supporting him, backing up his research. Um, you know, he believes that there's a bit of a long road ahead of him, um, but we will do anything we can to support his effort, elevate his voice. I think he's going to help elevate our mission as well. Um, and we are so happy to have found him as an ally. Okay. Wow. Okay. Lucia, how do we, how do people get a hold of you if they want to uh, uh, talk to you more, submit questions, uh, watch uh, your organization, what's happening there? Because this is going to be a big concern to a lot of parents. Thank you forward. so much. Yes. Um, so we have a we have a website um, and that is nocollegemandates.com. And from that website, uh, you can connect to our Substack uh, channel. And our Substack is where all of our articles and all of our media appearances and our letter outreach campaign, it's all posted on our Substack. Um, and then you can also reach me personally um, on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. My handle is at Free College Kids. Um, and then also from our website, you can find our Telegram chat group. Um, it is a really active um, chat group with thousands and thousands of parents um, from, and some students and professors and faculty um, from all over the U.S. And it's a good place to go and get your questions answered. Um, if you're just applying to college and you want to know how those particular colleges have treated students in the past or what their current policies are. Um, the parents are incredibly supportive in that group um, and they're motivated um, to help make a difference. Um, and yeah, we, we'd love to have anybody and everybody join this fight. And the other thing I always say is you don't have to be a college student. You don't even have to be a parent of a college student. You can be a college graduate. You can be the grandparent of a college student. You can be a, a U.S. citizen that's concerned about college students. We welcome everybody to join this fight. Wonderful. Okay. My social media guru, Lori, how do we get a hold of you? I am on Twitter only and I'm been censored multiple times. I'm on an account that's called at surfs up Bree. One of my, my 12 year old created the title. And so that's the one that stuck. Um, and, and I have to say, I only share information on vaccine injuries and censorship. My, my channel is very, very focused, laser focused on this topic. Cause I'm very passionate. I have a God given passion for it to elevate the voices of the injured and also for informed consent so that people can make good choices. 
I, I, I know too many people who don't know the truth about this. And uh, Wayne, I thank you so much for, for your 20 plus year fight on this. Like I've met so many people who walked before me on this and who have paved the way and I have rights I didn't even know because of your fight. And so thank you so much for that. Well, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been a challenge. Um, yes, you're right. Uh, my son now 24 was vaccine injured at the age of 13 months. And I've been f- doing this for 20 plus years. Um, but this COVID vaccine or jab is a little bit different dynamic. Uh, a lot of parents were labeled crazy, you know, anti-vaxxers before this COVID era. And now a lot of people are actually understanding because of the mass vaccination campaign and all the problems that have come with it, a lot more people understand that the vaccine policy in the United States is out of control. And um, welcome to the fight, everybody. We're glad to have everybody here. Everybody's got a voice. That's why I love to share with a lot of different people and um, we'll get after it. Okay, so you've been watching and listening to the Right on Point podcast. It's a candid discussion of your civil liberties, issues, and legal rights with your government. We discuss what no one else will by digging deep into the vaccine injury compensation programs, the PREP Act, the corruption of the CDC and the FDA, legalities of the COVID pandemic, the college mandate issue, and of course, everything that's happening in our global community. I want to thank my guest today, Lucia Sinatra, my co-host, Lori Jennings, and thank the many viewers and, and listeners of this program. And as I leave you each week with the following, keep learning, keep challenging yourself, and always, always question authority. Have a good day, everyone. You have been listening to the Right on Point podcast with your host, Wayne Rohde. 